We are still in Galatians on our Wednesday night Bible study. So turn in your Bibles to, to Galatians if you haven't already done so. Two Wednesdays ago, we, we went through all of these things that uh, are the works of the flesh. And in, in verse 19 of chapter 5, you'll notice that it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Now, notice when we get down to 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Notice it? Now, we've been talking so much about not working, not adding works to grace. We've been talking about not adding law to grace. Now, I think it's interesting that the Scripture says that the works of the flesh. Now that, that is so different than fruit. I can remember being asked when I was in, I think we were in elementary school when a teacher had one of those questions that it's just, the questions are designed to get people talking. You know, is there any, any such thing as a free lunch? And uh, the kids would start answering, well, yeah, I got a free lunch one time. And then she would say, well, somebody had to pay for it. And she would describe how it didn't cost, you know, it wasn't totally free. And I, I brought up, you're just walking through the field, and an apple tree is there, and the apple has fallen off the tree, and you just pick it up and eat it. And I, so I was talking about fruit, and really the way the Bible describes this, the fruit just happens all by itself. Nobody has to do anything. And we either work to try to get results, or we get grafted into the vine, Jesus Christ, and we just produce fruit without any effort at all. It's just being tapped into the right place, being grafted in. So I think that this is what you're going to get when you read the Word of God. You really pay attention to who the wording, and you couldn't have worded it any better when you start talking about all the things that if you walk after the Spirit, these things will happen. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. And this is, this is true love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You know, all of these things that we read up above, all of these horrible, sinful things, that if you are... Now, when we read those things... You can probably pick out some things in that list that you have done. Most people who read the Bible and they get to this terrible list of the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. It says that people who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So, 
if you read that and then you say, oh, well, I'm out. Because there's something in that list that you've done. Some people uh, who are part of the club, the sin club, maybe have done all of them. Maybe, maybe they're the president of the sin club. People do bad things. Some people do a lot more bad things than others. But we're still all lost. So if you read that, are you saying, well, no hope for me? What, what this is saying is, if, you, if this is your way of life, not that you may have done, even after becoming a born-again Christian, there are people who do these things, these bad things. But they should, because the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with their spirit, they will feel absolutely horrible about doing those things. So are you disqualified if you do one of these things? You know, you might go through a little spell of hatred because somebody does something horrible to one of your loved ones. And you immediately act out and you hate them for a moment or maybe a long time. And that's something that could easily happen to anybody. But if you are truly born again and you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you should be able to turn that hatred into forgiveness. And you should be able to forgive because the Holy Spirit is allowing you or helping you to do something that you could not do on your own. Now, notice all of the fruit. It's, it's nine different things, but it's, it doesn't say the fruits, right? It just says the fruit. That means that you can't just say, well, I, yeah, I got that pretty good. I got that. I'm I don't have that. You can't pick and choose which ones of these you have or not. If you are led by the Spirit, all of these things should be part of what you are. It's the fruit. That's what the Holy Spirit produces when you are cleansed by the blood of Jesus and then you accept the fact that Jesus went to be with the Father to intercede for us, but He said He was going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is here. When we believe on the name of Jesus Christ, what He did, then the Holy Spirit indwells us and if that has happened, you have become a new creature in Christ. You are a new man, and you do different than what you used to do before that happened. We have to remember that the justification that we get through the cross of Christ is something we just have to believe. When we get to this, as far as our walk with our walk with Christ, being in Christ, the Holy Spirit's in us, and that's what most religious people would say, sanctification. So you're, you're, uh, you're walking your Christian walk. Don't turn that into a work. Just like you believed that what Jesus did for you saved you, believe that the Holy Spirit is, is, is doing all this, and just let it happen. There's really nothing, whether it's our justification, sanctification, and then one day our glorification, we really don't do anything 
that we can brag about that gives us victory in any of those. If we're living a good Christian life, then we say, well, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is guiding me, and all I'm doing is choosing to walk after it. I, I chose to believe that, yeah, Jesus did die for me, and I'm making a choice to believe it, accept it, and He's my Lord. So in all phases of our Christian life, it should be just allowing the fruit to grow. Being tapped into the vine, the true vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, and that we are to be branches tied into that vine. We don't produce anything. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's John 15. Uh, I am the vine. So let's, I'm going to, I got this uh, John MacArthur Galatians study, and I was looking through it. I was interested in what he would say about this section of Scripture. And I'm just going, it's very, very short on each of these things. He's got uh, little uh, definitions on all of those bad things. And then um, when you get to the fruit, it says love. He says, one of several Greek words for love, agape, refers to the love of choice, not an emotional affection or physical attraction or, or even the, the love you would have within a family, but the respect, devotion, and affection that lead to willing, self-sacrificial service. So the kind of love that God gives us, that agape love, it's we just choose to help others. It's that part of love your neighbor. Then joy. Joy is a happiness based on unchanging divine promises and eternal spiritual realities. It is the sense of well-being experienced by one who knows all is well between himself or herself and the Lord. It is not the result of favorable circumstances and even occurs when those circumstances are the most painful and severe. Joy is a gift from God and, as such, believers are not to manufacture it but to delight in the blessing they already possess. So, we, we talked about that before. Uh, happiness is determined by what's going on around you. But joy is a happiness that's in you. It doesn't matter how bad things are around you, you still have it. And that is definitely a fruit of the Spirit. Part of the fruit of the Spirit. Then you have peace. People uh, will have signs that say, peace, peace, you know, we want peace. Uh, all this, and, and, and we have this worldly idea of peace. But the peace that's talked about here is, is different. And John MacArthur says, the inner calm that results from confidence in one's saving relationship with Christ. The verb form denotes binding together and is reflected in the expression having it all together. Like joy, Peace is not related to one's circumstances. 
And then he's got some scripture uh, references, John 14, 27, Romans 8, 28, and Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and verse 9. Next you have long-suffering. Now, some of these that I'm reading out of this little book might be different than what we read out of the King James because he's using the New King James. So he says, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. So it looks like he used kindness for gentleness. So long-suffering, the patience to endure injuries inflicted by others and the willingness to accept irritating or painful situations. Now, God showed big-time long-suffering. You know, we were talking about Noah, talking about how no one that got in the ark got the judgment, which was the water, and how God showed long-suffering in that it took that long before the flood came. And if you don't know the whole story behind it, then you don't understand how long God waited. So Methuselah, oldest man to ever live, but died before his father did. Methuselah, was he 969 years old? The oldest man to ever live. Because his name means when he dies, it will come, which was talking about the flood. And... You know, people have gone back and done all the years and did all the math, and, it's, and it seems like the day that Methuselah died, the water started coming that day. Lamech would have died almost the same exact time, and he was 777. Of course he was. Long-suffering. God is long-suffering. He gives us so many chances to turn to Him. And, and the longer time goes on, and the more you resist and turn away, the harder and harder it is to get through. But, but long-suffering, we are to have that. Now, some of the Scripture references was, let's see, Ephesians 4.2, Colossians 3.12, 1 Timothy 1, 15, and 16. And then kindness or gentleness, tender concern for others, reflected in a desire to treat others gently. See, yeah, King James says gent gentleness. So he uses the word gentle. Just as the Lord treats all believers... Scripture references Matthew 11, 28, and 29, Matthew 19, 13, and 14, 2 Timothy 2, 24. Then goodness, moral and spiritual excellence manifested in active kindness, Romans 5, 7. Believers are commanded to exemplify goodness. Then we have faithfulness. So in the King James, it says faith. So faithfulness, loyalty, and trustworthiness. Examples would be in Lamentations 3, verse 22, Philippians 2, 7 through 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, Revelation 2, 10. Next is meekness. I wrote down gentleness. 
but it is meekness. And then he says, better translated meekness. <laughs> well, that's what the King James says. This is a humble and gentle attitude that is patiently submissive in every offense while having no desire for revenge or retribution. Now, what do you see in uh, a lot of what's happened in our, in our country over the past couple years? You see groups being formed and they are making everyone in the groups that, that support the groups angry and they are being told that they deserve something and they need revenge and they need retribution. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen it. You've seen riots all across America because people have been worked up because they do not have any meekness. The world's way is, you know, it, it just, it's like, it's, that's what the devil would do. Satan is upset because God kicked him out and he wants revenge and retribution. So you can't be any more like the devil when you're a person who's all about revenge and retribution. The opposite of that is meekness, which means you're being more forgiving. You understand those bad things happened, but you're willing to forgive. You're willing to get over it and move on. That's something that I've been hearing John MacArthur on some of his preaching. And he says there's nothing... You know, when we are trying to be, live a sanctified life and to show this fruit where we're, you can't be more like God by being for, uh, showing forgiveness. I mean, look at what He forgave us for. Look at what He went through to give us the opportunity to be forgiven of all of our sins. So when you have a forgiving heart, you're, you're, that's, you're, you're being like Jesus. You, you've really come a long way when you're able to forgive. In the New Testament, it is used to describe three attitudes. Submission to the will of God, and that would be in Colossians 3.12. Uh, submission to teach, you know, be, you know basically being teach, teachable. Uh, James 1.21, and consideration of others, Ephesians 4.2. The next one in the list, in the King James it says temperance. Temperance. And the New King, uh, New King James says self-control. This refers to restraining passions and appetites. 1 Corinthians 9.24. 5, 2 Peter 1, 5, and 6. Just some reference verses there. And then it says, Against such there is no law. Now, when I read that earlier, I went back to all those bad things, and then I kind of got off on all that, and I forgot what I was going to say. But now that I've read it again, it's coming back to me. Think about all of the laws that have been put in place. Now, we have, been, we have talked so much about not mixing law with grace. How, 
But we love the Ten Commandments, and there's nothing wrong with loving the Ten Commandments. I think they should be posted in the courthouses across, across America, which they've been that way for, for as long as this country has been established. Ten Commandments are hanging in courthouses all over America. They should be. Because also, there are people who will reject Christ as their Savior, but they, they believe that there is a God out there because they look at creation. And, and, and that makes me think of somebody like Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin was an amazing guy, very smart. But we don't have anything that shows that he accepted Christ as a Savior. We, just, we don't have that. Now, he may have. I mean, I can't go ask him. So he can't defend himself. So I'm not going to say he wasn't saved, but I'm just saying that we don't really have anything. And when you look at our founding fathers, he is the one that people would say was the least, the least religious of all of them. Well, there's more that were least religious, but the ones that were really well known. But Ben Franklin, he knew enough to know that as a country, we needed to look to God to protect us and to pray to him. So the Bible that we hold so dear, we know that all scriptures work to show us the way of salvation. And that's what we hope everybody gets. But many people will never get there. All kinds of people have missed it. But there's a lot of people who go by the principles of the Bible and live good lives. They don't steal from anybody. They don't hurt other people. There's all these things that we just don't do. We're brought up in a way to where we know that's wrong, this is wrong. And why do we know that those things are wrong? Because it's in our Bible. So as a nation and a government that is formed for a nation, our government is there to protect our God-given rights. That's why we elect people and send them and they represent us and government agencies are supposed to protect what God has given us. Because we go back through history and we see where evil men try to take away your God-given rights. It's happened over and over and over again. And if you are a people that are weak and show weakness, you're a magnet to the evil of the world. Some amazing people that were so much into the Word and they, they just took to being meek and gentle, and they took all of that stuff so literal to the point where they were pacifist. And when you're that way, you will be taken advantage of. Look at King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. He had so much blood on his hands that God wouldn't let him build the temple. But he was a man after God's own heart. He, you, didn't, you didn't mess with him. He was one tough dude. And we should not be to where we are 
so into trying to be nice that we become pacifist. We don't, we don't want to go there. So it's so important that we know the Word of God, we know the Scriptures, and you know when to use these things in the right, right, at the right times. But we all have to be ready to actually fight for our godly rights. No person is expected to not defend themselves. Any person has a God-given right to defend themselves. And you wouldn't fault anybody for protecting their loved ones or protecting themselves from someone coming to do harm. So all the laws that have been written up to try to stop all of these bad things that are in the list above the fruit of the Spirit. Drunkenness is on there. To be out in public and to be drunk is against the law. You can get locked up for that. There's a law. Well, if there was no law on the books, you could not prosecute that. So laws have to be on the books. There, it says murders. Well, we have laws. And we have different degrees of murder. And it's all because of the Word of God. In the Old Testament, it was a, it was a life for a life. But then there's those other types. You know, Moses, he killed a man. And most of us will look at the story and go, well, he was protecting somebody. He was protecting his people. They were being mistreated. And was it justified? Was it not? He looked around like he was pretty guilty. They were coming to get him. He took off. He ran away. He killed somebody. He should not have killed somebody. But that would be a different degree than sitting around planning on how he was going to catch this person in this, this particular area and he's going to kill him and then you know, had all this planned out. That was something that just happened. See the difference? The difference, and we have that in our laws. It's a shame we have to have so many laws, but not everybody's going to live with the fruit of the Spirit. A, a person who is truly living a Christian life, and they are truly born again, and they're being led by the Spirit, they're full of this fruit, they don't want to kill anybody. They, they just don't want to do it. In fact, they would, in most situations, they would probably just rather die than to kill somebody because they're thinking more of others than themselves. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody was a believer? Wouldn't it be nice? But we've seen throughout history that that's just not the case. And we are also, we are also told in the Word of God that as time goes on, it's going to get worse and worse. So we've got to be ready. You can't make a law against these, all these fruit, you know, the nine different fruit of the Spirit. There's no law that you can place to stop it. There's no law that you can put in place to make people do it. Right? It's something that just blooms on a branch whether you want it to or not, you might have to protect it, but guard, guard it, 
But as far as it growing and producing, it's going to do what it's going to do. 24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. It's just telling us that, you know, we should have all these qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. And remember, even though the old man is crucified, we still struggle. Right? We still have this fleshly body that we have to believe was crucified, and that's when we get the victory. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, to me, that looks to me like you're saved. This is talking about a saved person who has the Spirit in them, and it says that we're living in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, it says, let us also walk in the Spirit. So that tells me that we still have choices to make. We have a will, and God does not take away our will. We are free to go the wrong direction. We could wake up one day and say, I'm not walking after the Spirit today. You have that choice. But it says we should also, we should also walk. We should. Let us not be the serious of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. And I, you know, I read that a couple weeks ago. Um, when I read that last verse, I said, should I even read this last verse? But, you know, that finished up five, but we weren't finished with five anyway, so I didn't have to read it because we're right back here again. But that verse kind of goes more into chapter six. So it's a good transition verse. So look at 6.1. Brethren, what do you think about that name, brethren? We, that's what we should be calling each other, uh, brethren. We are part of God's family now. So that's a good word. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are... Now, why would this happen? Because of the verse I just read a couple verses ago. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, there's times where... They don't. You should. Uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. So you, you do what you shouldn't have done. You're, you're in a fault. Ye which are spiritual, restore such an, an one in the spirit of meekness. And why do you need to do it in the spirit of being meek? Why? It says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Don't act like you can't fall. All right, somebody messes up. They're going to feel bad about it if they are truly a brethren. And you, when you go to correct the situation, you do it in meekness because you're, you're a person just like they are, and you might fall into something one day, and you want to be treated the same way. Don't act like you got it all figured out. So we, it's just this is instructing us on how we behave as Christians with one another. Verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Remember, law, the law of Christ was 
well, he, he broke it down so much that it was only two left. The nation of Israel had 613 laws. We concentrate on the Ten Commandments. But then Jesus comes along and breaks it down into two. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now I'm going to read a little bit out of the uh, Believer's Bible Commentary. So those first five verses of chapter 6. Well, I'm going to go back to 26. That, that, the, the verse 26, which is a uh, transitional, this is what he says about that. In this verse, there are three attitudes to be avoided. Number one, conceit. Let us not become, become conceited. Now, that's probably what the wording is in the New King James. When, you know, they, they'll change the serious of vainglory. All right, literally holding of false or empty opinion of ourselves. God does not want Christians to be boastful or conceited braggarts. It does not fit in with being a sinner saved by grace. Men living under the law often become proud of their miserable achievements <laughs> and taunt those who do not come up to their standards. And legalistic Christians will often run down other Christians who don't have the same list of borderline things that they condemn. And then the next part, provoking one another, provocation. It is a denial of the spirit-filled life to provoke or challenge other people to measure up to one's own private viewpoints. One never knows the problems and temptations of another person's heart, never having walked in his shoes. So, you know, you might have someone who is just really struggling in a certain area and you just you don't know what they're dealing with in life. So be careful when you address it. Uh, the third attitude was envy, envying one another. Envy is the sin of wanting something that belongs to someone else. So that's covetousness as well. When you envy someone, you're, you're breaking the 10th the commandment. Thou shalt not covet. I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing some extra stuff in here. Uh, so, wanting something that belongs to someone else to which one has no right or claim. Envy begrudges another person's superior success, talents, possessions, or good looks. Persons of few talents or weak character are apt to envy those who seem to be more successful law keepers. All such attributes are foreign to grace. A true believer would esteem others better than him, himself. Law keepers desire false glory. True greatness is to serve unnoticed, to labor unseen. Now the verse 1 of, of 6, talking about 
someone being overtaken in a fault. He says, here is a lovely statement on how a sinning believer is to be treated by other Christians. It is in sharp contrast to the law, of course, which called down judgment on offenders. To be overtaken in any trespass describes a man who has committed an act of sin rather than one who is habitually sinning. So that's what I was trying to explain earlier. In that l- terrible list of uh, bad things, or is it something you, you just messed up and did one time? But then there's those who live that. That's the big difference there that you got to see. <clears throat> so it's overtaken in a, in a trespass. Such a person is to be dealt with by spiritual Christians. A carnal Christian might, by a hard, cold attitude, do more harm than good. Then, too, the offender will not be likely to receive the admonition of one who is himself out of touch with the Lord. This verse raises an interesting question. If a man is truly spiritual, would he, would he admit it? Are not spiritual people most conscious of their shortcomings? Who then would do the work of restoration if doing so marked him as a spiritual man? Would it not betray a lack of modesty? The answer is this. A truly spiritual man will never boast of his condition, but he will have the tender heart of a shepherd, making him want to restore the transgressor. He will not act in a spirit of pride or superiority, but in a spirit of gentleness, remembering that he also might be tempted. So, the way I say it is, I am so proud of how humble I am. (laughs) All righty. Well, I think we've done enough, and I, I really wanted to cover the fruit and go over that a little bit before we got too far into six. And it helps us. We're we're here for a purpose. And we're here to lift each other up. We're we're here to to watch out for each other. We need people to keep keep us honest. So we we need accountability. And um, we have to make sure that we live a life individually. Each one of us has to live a Christ-like life. I don't want, I don't want people to, to make that a burden because if, you, if it's a burden and you're working on it, then you're missing the point of all this. I just want people to get into the Word, read the Word, pray to God, Allow the Holy Spirit to come into you and do what the Holy Spirit does best. And it, we should be that way without even trying. It's just what we are supposed to become. Again, we're still in a body of flesh. We are going to mess up from time to time. That's why we're reading all this and be understanding when it happens. But know that we 
have to make a good impression on the people we're trying to witness to around us. Too many times we will have, you know, we're witnessing to someone, asking someone to come to church, and they go, well, so-and-so goes to y'all's church, and they do this, that, and the other, and um, we, we, we'll hear somebody say, well, yeah, I used to go to that church, but y'all had this pastor, and he was mean, and he did this to me and that to me, and I just gave up on religion. Well, <clears throat> it was really bad that a pastor would act that way and be that hurtful, but it's almost like that person is thankful that they had a good excuse that they can tell everybody because they don't want to be in church. And they were just waiting for the day to somebody, for somebody to offend them so that they can run away and then the rest of their life blame the denial and rejection of Christ and coming together with other believers and just have that excuse that they can fall back on any time. It, they're not real at all. I mean, if you would allow a person, a, a, I don't care what kind of pastor they were, if you're allowing a person to keep you away, then you are a very lost person. Very lost. <clears throat> and we hear, we hear all those excuses. <clears throat> and we need to be able to respond in a, in a good, Christ-like way. And that's why we come together. <clears throat> and hear the word preached. That's why we listen to not just what we have here, but we listen to other people that God has blessed us with. Um, <clears throat> I, I, you've, you've heard me mention so many people. I've listened, I, I listen to John MacArthur every now and then. I got his podcast that comes in on my phone with my earbuds. I listen to him. I listen to Adrian Rogers. And... <clears throat> I've listened to many others in the past. Uh, I used to listen to a whole lot of Jay Vernon McGee when I was younger. And, yeah, I was, uh, Pastor Nick down at West Salem, he went, on, he went to Africa, him and his wife, and I think a couple, of, a couple of his kids, they went over to do some missionary work over in Africa. And he did some preaching while he was over there because there was, a, there was a bunch of different Baptist preachers that had gone over, and each one of them had a night where they were to do the preaching. And he ended up having, for whatever reason, had to listen to his sermon. And he's like, he hates it. He hates listening. Even though they record it every week, and he, he doesn't like listening to his sermons. Because he doesn't like hearing his voice. <clears throat> and he's, he was telling his congregation, uh, you know, I just wish I had a voice like Adrian Rogers. And I, and I want to say, well, at least you don't have a voice like J. Vernon McGee. But look at how many people absolutely love to listen to him. Probably one of the worst voices ever for radio, but yet I loved listening to him. Loved it. I can remember listening to Oliver Green. Oh, he's rough and tough, man. He just, I, I, he's probably been dead for 40 years or longer. I don't know, but he's, you know, some of the best preachers are ones that died a long time ago. Some of the best commentaries I, I love are guys who died a long time ago. So we, we, we don't worship men. We, we, don't, we, we just recognize that God has used different people. We, we don't... Uh, you could easily get into worshiping people. 
and, and want, you know, what, what did he say? Oh, I've got to find out who, what he said. But we don't want to be like that. We want to be listening to the Spirit and letting God give us stuff. And we just uh, use all these saints that have gone before us as, uh, you know, help. They just help us. We all help each other. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for this word. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit that is living in us, that we would, we would just recognize that what Christ did, what the Holy Spirit is doing, and it's leading us to one day being with you for eternity. And Father, I pray that each and every one of us understand it, see the importance in it, and have a desire in our hearts to grab hold of everyone we can to take them on that journey with. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.